just going to make a blanket statement. No one should ever take advice from a bird. Listen, the birds are obviously organized against humans. Like they are, they're pissed because they've been here for so long. It's their turn to be at the top of the food chain. They do not have our best interest at heart. No, they hate us. Hi campers, welcome to Museum Camp. I'm Megan. I'm Madison. Hey there, gang. Hey up? there. What if we started a gang? Yeah, we started a gang for sure. Yeah. Um, it's a very peaceful one. Mm-hmm. We're you just kind of from really, gangs traditionally. Yeah, we're kind of just hanging out. I think that's mm-hmm. really our whole vibe. Yeah, you might call <laughs> it just like you know a friend group. Also, yeah, <laughs> a clique, if you will. Yeah, a clique. Uh, just a gathering (laughs) but gang is fun too yeah we love it did you have a good Christmas you guys I thought you were asking me I was like Megan I'm in the same timeline as you are (laughs) I know (laughs) we're still a few days out did you get everything you ever wanted campers please tell me that you you succumb to capitalism yeah you push over you push over I I (laughs) saw something the other day that was like I don't know what it was talking about it could have been anything but it said something um suckling on the teat of capitalism (laughs) (laughs) no that implies that capitalism is a woman and that just simply would not be the case it would not be true um (laughs) so we've covered gangs we've covered capitalism what else is new this week Megan (laughs) and teats I started watching a show that I can't remember if I told you about or not. All right. Um, and I know that you've watched it already. So I'm excited to give you this news. Okay. And without further ado, I'm going to tell you <laughs> that I started Squid Games. <gasps> oh. Games or game? Game. Singular. Okay. Squid Game is what I started. I did that classic Midwest thing where I add an S to everything. <laughs> We'd love to see it. Um, yeah. Okay, tell me your thoughts. I have horrified. I am horrified. <laughs> see, that's what I, think... I was saying. Whenever when I was like, "Why is this so popular? It's so fucked up." What is that saying about our psyche collectively? Yeah. First of all, why are children watching it? I have a qualm with that. Yeah. Um, but I, you know, whatever. Leave it up to the parents to decide. Yeah. But um just know that we don't approve (laughs) yeah we do not approve of your parenting if you're letting your young child watch squid game because here's the thing I am not a young child and I had nightmares about squid game and I really think it did give me anxiety (laughs) for like I think it really made my anxiety yeah sorry but that red light green light thing first of all I feel like it went way it went on for way too long it went on for way too long it was like okay we get it we know what type of thing this is now oh my god they weren't cutting away or anything it was just no you had to watch the entire game and I did and I did and I was horrified yeah it's it's really a lot to process there's a lot to wrestle with there internally yeah um yeah oh man how far are you I think just two episodes I don't know how people binge it as quickly as they did 
because mm -hmm. here's the thing. I never, I don't think it's been a you know month or two since I watched it, but I don't think there was ever a point where I was like, wow, I cannot wait to know what happens next. It was like, Hey, I need a nap and yeah. <laughs> a therapy session, um, and some chocolate. And then we'll yeah. just see, we'll, we'll see from there from if there. I get back to it. Um, yeah. and like people were binging it all, which just not I, healthy guys, not healthy, but I also, I salute you for being able to stomach that because it was absolutely, absolutely nuts. Yeah. Um, well, Ooh. spoiler alert, it continues to be completely fucked up. Yeah. Can't I wait. Love it. Yeah. I mean, I can oh. wait. Cause also like, I think my brain is making me forget that I started it. Um, yeah, your brain's like, dude, I'll, I'll be the adult here. You can't do this anymore <laughs> <laughs> because I started it several nights ago and we watched two in one night and we haven't watched any since. Um, and I forgot to tell you that I was watching it. So I think my right. brain's just like, just let's suppress, just suppress. 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 <laughs> oh, yikes. It's, I mean, it's a, a beautiful show. It's very well done, very effective, oh. but, and I really like the, voiceover this that they did like that they I did a great really job well yeah. yeah um but oof and I guess they're making a season two great can't wait can't wait <laughs> I just sign me up <laughs> um anything new so, going on with you no I've obviously been mainly watching the crown um sure. I obviously and we've talked about this numerous times where the thing I love the most about the crown is that I watch it and I only really am halfway paying attention because I'm mostly just googling things and reading wikipedia pages about all of these historical people and events uh -huh. and so I just watched the one where uh Jackie and President Kennedy uh were in it and they visited and then he got assassinated spoiler alert um that was a great episode though great episode the actress who they got to play Jackie absolutely killed amazing. it amazing I just that show is so fucking well cast I can't get it over really it is. um but that obviously sent me down quite the Wikipedia rabbit hole <laughs> sure yeah as the crown as want to do yes um so that was great other than that and they did text you about this but we watched fellowship of the ring oh that's right and i have seen it before it's just been many many years um by the way since uh, just a quick interruption yeah. since you told me that you're watching lord of the rings i have been subconsciously peppering lord of the rings quotes into my daily conversations <laughs> classic. yeah so classic um and it was very good it's yeah, it's very well done it holds up except i would say the one part that really lost me was when they do um that scene with kate blanchett and she looks like she's in one of those like passes the test but yeah. yeah, she looks crazy. She looks crazy. And it looked to me, it just looked like, you know, the like old, like photo booth app on Max where it was, 
yeah, just all of exactly that filters. Uh-huh. That's what it was. I was like, okay, this really uh, took me yeah. out of it quite a bit, but <laughs> I stayed awake for the whole thing, which is unprecedented for any movie, really, <laughs> much less one that's three hours. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I will say, and Matt was kind of laughing at me because he's like, well, what did you expect? There's three movies, but I really thought that like they, like, it was weird to me that they didn't, like, you know, make it to Mordor. <laughs> like, I mean, <laughs> I was just like. I hate to tell like, you in the second one. No, I know. Um, gonna- <laughs> it was like, I was like, I love, we love a movie that is accurate to the book. And mm. apparently, I, I think I read Fellowship of the Ring in, like, fourth grade. But sure. I don't remember it. Um, but. So maybe my qualm here is not with Peter Jackson. Maybe my qualm here, dare I say it, is with J.R.R. Tolkien. Because I feel like he could have sped things up a little bit. Um, oh, boy. I know. You're on I, dangerous ground right I know. <laughs> I know. I'm not saying that he should have. Uh-huh. I'm just saying if he wanted to, he probably could have done a wonderful job. Sure. Um, An abridged version. Yeah. Yeah. Um, like, could have could have made that a 90 minute movie <laughs> sure are but you no, guys doing very... the extended we are not this time around because uh, I was like look here's the thing it's going to be a struggle for me to yeah to focus on three hours and so we're gonna we're gonna start with that and maybe in a couple of months we'll do extend extendos sure and now when does your journey continue I don't know. We have a bunch of time off for the holiday coming up. So we'll see right. about the time, um, but Lovely. hopefully soon. Can't yeah. wait. It was funny because out. when we started watching it, Matt was looking something up and realized that we were watching Fellowship of the Ring 20 years to the day of its original release in theaters. Mm. And so um, then he was joking. He's like, well, now we have to figure out when, what is it? Is it Return of the King? Which mm-hmm. one is the second one? Oh, Two Towers. Sorry. Two Towers. Return of the King is the third. The last one. Um, he was like, well, now we have to watch Two Towers when it's its 20-year anniversary. Oh, my God. <laughs> Give me the real theater experience. <laughs> of course. That's so funny. Yeah, campers, you may not know, I am a big, um, I'm one of those big Lord of the Rings fans who's never read any of the books. <laughs> um. <laughs> big fan of the cinematic adventure yeah um to the point where like my family um it started out as like every year picking a day typically I think sometimes it was on Black Friday sometimes it was on New Year's Day we will watch the entire extended from like sun up to sundown um and then it then it turned into like um going every other year and then doing the Hobbit trilogy once that all came out. What are your thoughts on the Hobbit trilogy? I loved the first one. The second Mm -hmm. two were a big yikes and I wish they hadn't rushed it. Yeah. Because it could have been amazing. Yeah. I, I think I only saw the first one, but I did read that book in fifth grade and I loved it. We read it for school with like the best teacher I had in my elementary years. And he like, um, 
got really into it and he would like like play the piano and like sing all the songs like Uh. and it was just like so magical and I loved it and then we had a hobbit day when we finished it where we all dressed up as elves and hobbits and um ran around the school and it was so it was very um it was a very endearing time um and so I watched the first movie and it was so good and then when I heard I I was like I don't like I just I just have never watched the others it's worth a watch but I would just say don't have super high expectations expectations. yeah but um yeah maybe I'll read the books someday Maybe, yeah. maybe, um, if we hit a certain number of subscribers, <laughs> I'll devote time to reading the books. The ghost of J.R.R. Tolkien just subscribed. That's right. <laughs> he's like, you bitch, <laughs> you better read this book. <laughs> yeah. He's pissed. Um, we should do a museum camp book club. That's a great idea. I love a book club. Love, love, love a book club. If anyone's interested in this idea, please let us know. If you think it's a bad idea, please let us know. Yeah, or just ignore it and we'll get the yeah, message without getting it. our feelings hurt. <laughs> True. It's a good point. I forgot how sensitive we are. We're very sensitive. <laughs> Shall um, we move on from this very long intro? Yeah, what's a what's a good Christmassy um or I guess boxing day um (laughs) goodbye um I'm gonna say um fare thee well intro that's right fare thee well (laughs) (laughs) not Christmassy at all not Christmassy at all but it has the in it so yeah we're halfway there so somehow tangentially yeah we got there. Okay. In 1903, Benjamin and Mary Purnell began a commune in Benton Harbor, Michigan, to house the members of the cult they were running. Oh, I'm already so into what you're <laughs> what you're saying. <laughs> this cult, although it would be remembered as being so much more was called the House of David. Today, we're headed to St. Joseph, Michigan to visit the House of David Museum. Oh my God. Wait, Um, okay. (laughs) So many cults are running through my head. I think I was thinking of the 12 tribes of Israel. This one I didn't know about, um, but mostly because I think their whole big thing is something that I'm not really into. So, We'll get there. And also, I want to read my sources at the end because there's a lot oh. of twists and turns, okay. but you're going to have to remind me because I'm probably going to forget. I will. I will also okay. probably forget, but we'll just, we'll go for it. Yeah. Okay. Oh, I'm so excited. In order to really understand the full picture of what the House of David was, we must travel all the way back to the middle of the 18th century in Devon, England. Okay. There we'll find a young woman named Joanna Southcott. From bizarrejournal.com, this is a very, very long quote. I'd love to see it. (laughs) I I mean, I personally have never used a really, really long quote in my research, but- Sure. Okay, thank you so, so much. Raised in the village of 
Gidishim, Brits, let me know if I pronounced that correctly. Mm-hmm. But don't let me know if I pronounced it incorrectly. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Once again, we are sensitive. We are sensitive. Uh, in Devon, England, Joanna was the daughter of a farmer and was brought up in the Church of England. However, in 1792, at the age of 42, Joanna became convinced that she possessed supernatural powers. <clears throat> We've all been there. <laughs> She began writing down prophecies before convincing herself that she was the woman spoken of in Revelation 12, 1 through 6, who gives birth to a son who would become the ruler of all nations. Great. No red flags. No red flags. Southcott began writing letters to the English clergy, condemning them for their indifference to the needs of the poor. Love that. Love that. Please love those letters. As a champion of the poor, her local fame grew when her predictions regarding the crop failures and famines of 1799 and 1800 were fulfilled. So she's already getting a little witchy. She's predicting things. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. In 1801, emboldened with self-righteous confidence, Southcott used up her life savings to print 1,000 copies of her first part of her book, the strange effects of faith, colon, with remarkable prophecies made in 1792. Of course, anyone could print a book claiming that predictions made a decade earlier had come to pass. Sure. But nonetheless. <laughs> Note to self. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but nonetheless, her book attracted the attention of Richard Brothers, another self-described prophet who was at the time at the peak of his popularity. The following year, Brothers, along with the master engraver, William Sharp, convinced Joanna to move to London, where they provided her with lodgings and promoted her work. In London, Joanna attracted several followers who began to refer to themselves as South Cottians. Between 1801 and 1814. Also, can followers just like get a little creative sometimes? Like you don't have yeah. to add ends to the end of like someone's mm-hmm. last name that you're following. Yeah, I feel like you can uh, still be a good cult follower and have like a little bit of a backbone and just be yeah. like, yeah, yeah, <laughs> don't be a diva yeah, to don't the be cult leader. <laughs> Between 1801 and 1814, Southcott published 65 pamphlets and by one conservative estimate, a total of 108,000 copies of her works, which combined apocalyptic visions with homespun wit and wisdom, were published and circulated from 1801 to 1816, making Southcott one of the most popular writers of her time. In fact, Charles Dickens refers to Miss Mrs. Southcott at the beginning of A Tale of Two Cities. No way. Which is crazy. Yeah. Wow. Amid vicious public attacks on her character, Joanna fled from London to Bristol, where in 1814 she announced that she was about to become the mother of Shiloh, the name given to the second incarnation of Christ. Um okay. and also I think Brad Pitt's kid, right? that sounds right (laughs) the revelation was made explicit in Southcott's the third book of wonders announcing the coming of Shiloh 
and prophecies announcing the birth of the Prince of Peace. At the time of her pregnancy, this is the kicker, Joanna was 64 years of age and professed to be a virgin. <laughs> I just have some Wow, questions. she was 64, and she was really pregnant, or did she just pretend? I think that she had, um, what are those called? Like a phantom pregnancy? Cause like she was, she looked pregnant apparently. So I think it was one of those burritos mind over matter situations. <laughs> She's just gorging herself on Chipotle. This will show yeah. Um Wow. 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 That's a lot yeah. to wrap my head around. Yeah. <laughs> A prominent physician examined her and announced that Joanna was indeed showing signs of pregnancy. The date of October 19th, 1814 was fixed for the birth, but once November came and Shiloh had not arrived, she was ridiculed mercilessly by the press. The press is always so cool. That's so mean because like clearly there's some mental issues there if you think Um, that you're pregnant. Yeah. It's a little unethical press. Yeah. Oh my God. Get out of her uterus, journalist. Yeah, please let her live. On November 12th, Southcott married John Smith. We know that guy. <laughs> this. <laughs> it sounds like she made it up, like again. Like I know. It literally it sounds like she, like, it's like identity fraud or something like she found one of those um I know this is the 1800s but she got one of those like credit card offers where it's a little fake credit card and it says like John Smith and the credit card numbers and she's like oh look he's real I have his credit card yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if she just announced her marriage to John Doe that would be yeah <laughs> oh, um okay Uh, John Smith, a close friend and former steward to the Earl of Darnley, who offered himself in the role adopted father to the new Messiah. Adopted father. (laughs) (laughs) Like, sorry, God, you weren't good enough. Someone had to step in and be the dad. I'll obviously be the stepdad. I'm adopting your kid. The marriage was to be annulled if Shiloh failed to appear. Okay, John. <laughs> this is some Dwight Schrute situation. Oh, yeah. Where for it's sure. like, I will only impregnate you if you have a boy. <laughs> right. Yikes. <laughs> um, so marriage was to be annulled if Shiloh failed to appear. However, Southcott died December 27th at 38 Manchester Street in London. Her followers retained her body for four days in the hopes that she would be raised from the dead. Extra they spooky agreed to- because when this episode is released, it'll be December 27th. Ooh. So in a sense, we are raising her from the dead just by... <laughs> Joanna, are you here? Are you here? I am going to need to light some candles real quick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Everyone just hold on for a quick sec. (laughs) Also, I love keeping the body for four days because it was like, okay, so Jesus rose after the third. So we have to at least (laughs) four. (laughs) I 
think four is a healthy. Yeah, it's a good amount. It's a little more than standard. <laughs> oh, they agreed to its burial only after it began to decay. Yeesh. Oh, yikes. By this time, the South Cotian movement had over 100,000 followers, although most of them soon lost interest and abandoned the movement. Mm. The Panacea Society, founded by South Cot follower Mabel Barltrop in 1919, was formed in order to protect and preserve a sealed wooden box of South Cot's prophecies known as Joanna South Cot's Box. <laughs> Once again, very creative. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. We love to see it. Um, with the instruction that it be opened only at a time of national crisis, and then only in the presence of all 24 bishops of the Church of England. <laughs> this is very, like, national treasure. <laughs> it really is. <laughs> only in the presence. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Um, in 1927, psychic researcher Harry Price claimed that he had come into possession of Joanna Southcott's box and arranged to have it opened in the presence of the Bishop of Grantham. Grantham? Yes. Sure. <laughs> As someone who's watched um, almost two full seasons of The Crown, I'm just going to I'm just going to say you're yes. authorized. Yeah, I'm, I'm an honorary Brit. <laughs> That's right. The uh, opened box was found to contain only a few odds and ends, among them a lottery ticket and a horse pistol. Horse pistol. A lottery ticket. <laughs> Joanna was just pranking everyone. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so now let's go back to Michigan yes. and fast forward to 1903. Okay. Benjamin and Mary Purnell begin the House of David cult claiming to be the successors of Joanna Southcott. From okay. Wikipedia, in 1888, the Purnells discovered a group of preachers extolling a man named James Jersham Jezreel. I mean, what a name. Jersham. Jersham <laughs> or Jersham? Jersham Jezreel. Like, yeah, that sounds like someone clearing their throat. Jersham. Yeah. <laughs> For sure. <laughs> Uh, who was known as the Sixth Messenger. Jezreel had published three books known as Extract Sermons from the Flying Roll. <laughs> that means... <laughs> While the preachers were in Richmond, Benjamin and Mary joined their group known as the Visitation Movement, which was started by a woman named Joanna Southcott, which we read about, the First Messenger, and then it says in parentheses, Angel. Great. Great. I'm sorry. Okay, wait. So you said that these two in Michigan claim to be descendants of Joanna? Successors. Successors. Okay. I was like, I I feel like that's pretty easy to disprove. Sure. We can very quickly. Successors. Yeah. So I guess like each successor is known as a messenger. And we're now onto the sixth messenger, which is James Jersham Jezreel. And it's only been like less than 50 years that they've gone through five of them. <laughs> <laughs> what are you guys doing? Yeah, what is going on? Um, so while studying the writings of Jezreel, they noticed that he said that the seventh and last messenger was soon to be on the scene 
allegedly mentioned in Revelation 10.7. On March 12, 1895, the Purnells announced that the spirit of Shiloh had grafted with them to become the seventh and last messenger. Could they have used a less graphic word? grafted so bad skin graft (laughs) terrible hate it so prior to living in michigan the purnells were in fostoria ohio Mm. all cult leaders like just their roots are in ohio they always come back to ohio they really do They had two children, but one of them died at the age of 17 in a fireworks factory explosion. We love fireworks here. We do love fireworks. Almost a big Midwest treat. Yeah. (laughs) As you, as was evidenced by a fireworks factory fire explosion, whatever it was that killed children. Yeah. To a fault. (laughs) Not great. Um, due to their beliefs of not having anything to do with the dead, they decided to forego a funeral for their child. Cute. Yeah. yeah no red flags. It's all good. This obviously tainted their reputation in their town. Good. Yeah. In Ohio, Benjamin had a dream that a dove was perched on his shoulder and told him that it was his mission to unite the lost tribes of Israel in advance of Judgment Day. I'm just going to make a blanket statement. No one should ever take advice from a bird. Well, Ben began to preach the dove's message. Great. (laughs) And was attracting some followers. It was pigeons. (laughs) Yeah, The pigeons were just following him around and he thought it was because he was, you know, a prophet, but really he just had a loaf of bread in his back pocket. <laughs> Listen, the birds are obviously organized against humans. Like they yeah. are, they're pissed because they've been here for so long. It's their turn to be at the top of the yeah. food chain. They do not have our best interest at heart. No, they hate us. Mm-hmm. Which they is absolutely. fair. <laughs> yeah, I get it. <laughs> <laughs> Benjamin then decided that all of his followers would hand over any possessions to him and mm-hmm. forsake ownership of any property. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Heard that classic. one before. <laughs> yep. They would have to live in a commune and abstain from sex, haircutting, shaving, and meat. One of those is not like the other. <laughs> <laughs> it was then revealed to the Purnells that they would be moving their group of followers to Benton Harbor Michigan and combined with another group the Flying Rollers which had about 200 members (laughs) like a bicycle gang or not a bicycle a motorcycle gang I don't think bicycle gangs exist (laughs) should we start one should that be our gang's thing yeah we have a hook everyone (laughs) we absolutely do it's like just the little rascals or something <laughs> i love the little rascals i truly were, what were we just talking about this i think we were i think we were it's come up quite frequently yeah <laughs> <laughs> then they began to send out missionaries to various other states canada england and australia In 1910, the group had over 700 members, and in 1916, 1,000 members. Ooh. 
they are growing. Yeah. Um, but not, never mind. <laughs> uh, I was going to make a boner joke and then I. <laughs> well, thank God we avoided that. <laughs> okay. 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 So from Wikipedia, in 1907, the house owned about 1,000 acres on which the colony harvested fruit from a dozen orchards and cultivated grain. The commune had its own cannery, carpenter shop, coach factory, tailor shop, and steam laundry. They also owned and operated their own electricity plant, providing lighting to the community. It had three brass bands and two orchestras and a zoological garden. Why? Why do you need more than one orchestra? (laughs) (laughs) Like, they're so loud. You never need more than one orchestra. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. From AmericanHeritage.com. In a short period of time, a public zoo, garden, resort, dairy farm, restaurant, arcade, movie theater, bowling alley, amphitheater, and the world's largest miniature locomotive popped up on the House of David's grounds. (laughs) Also, (laughs) the world's largest miniature locomotive. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) It was just slightly less small than the others. (laughs) (laughs) How do they, I just don't understand how you like quantify that. Like who's keeping track of these? Yeah. Yeah. Especially in like early 1900s. I wonder, does that mean it was like the longest like ride? I don't know. Um, I don't know. I have no idea. Wow. I think that they have it in this museum though. The locomotive. Mm-hmm. I'm going to bring a, bring a ruler. Bring your rollers, everyone. <laughs> uh, they named their new amusement park Eden Springs. And during the first half of the 20th century, it was the Midwest's premier tourist attraction. Oh, that's embarrassing. That is embarrassing. <laughs> we have a lot to answer for around here. We really do. <laughs> We're putting chili on spaghetti. We're, <sighs> we're making cults, tourist attractions. Yeah, we're <laughs> literally known as the Bible Belt. <laughs> yeah, but, you know, it's fine. We're trying our best, everyone. <laughs> I don't know that that's true. <laughs> that's probably not true. <laughs> we're not putting in no effort. Yeah. <laughs> Just close to it. <laughs> yeah, there's some effort, for there's, sure. You know, an iota. <laughs> To this day, Midwesterners old enough to remember the park proudly share their fond memories. The House of David was also industrious in the making and distribution of everything from ice cream and grape juice to string instruments and jewelry. It is believed that the cult invented the waffle cone, first introduced at the 1904 World's Fair in St. Louis. Okay, I forgive them for everything. Unless they killed people. Well, there's one thing, you know, that you're not, you're going you're to have a hard time forgiving them. For. Okay. So far, everything they've done, I forgive them. Surprisingly, we haven't even gotten to the most outlandish part of the story of the House right. of David Cole. Jumping the gun, as per usual. 
this one's not bad, but here's a long quote from Wikipedia. Love it. Purnell was a sports enthusiast and encouraged the members of the Israelite community to play sports, especially baseball, to build physical and spiritual discipline. (laughs) Baseball is the Lord's sport. (laughs) (laughs) Why? (laughs) The Lord's sport. In 1913, the Israelite House of David began to play competitive baseball, and by 1915, they were following a grueling schedule. The House of David became famous as a barnstorming baseball team. I found out today that means they traveled around a lot. Mm. Which toured rural America from the 1920s through the 1950s, playing amateur and semi-pro teams in exhibition games. They were motivated by the need to make money for their families and colony back home and by the opportunity to share their beliefs. The team get members a job. Wore, yeah, get a job, dude. The team members wore long hair and beards as they played because they're not allowed to cut their hair or shave their beards. It's just a bunch of hairy virgins playing baseball. <laughs> Your worst nightmare. Yeah. <laughs> just all of their pent up. Like sexual tension is just being unleashed oh. on the diamond. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. Uh, by the late 1920s, meeting more skilled players, the house began hiring professionals. The most notable being Grover Cleveland Alexander, Satchel Page, and Mordecai Brown. I think these are all like well known. I was going to say Grover Cleveland, not the president. <laughs> not the president, the other one. <laughs> That would have been a funny, a funny pre-presidential term. <laughs> the other one. <laughs> Some professional players grew their beards out to show respect towards the God of Israel, while others wore false beards, which is so <laughs> no. I saw Babe Ruth's name mentioned in one of these articles. Like, I think that they hired him at one point, and it's Wait, so funny. False beard. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, what a life. Ugh. They were known for their skill and played against some of the greatest teams in the country. The House of David played against Major League, Minor League, Independent, and Negro League teams with all the same spirit of competition and fair play. At one point, the community had three separate barnstorming teams touring the country, playing and evangelizing wherever they went. The House of David teams were famous for inventing pepper baseball tricks along the lines of the basketball moves of the Harlem Globetrotters. (laughs) So they did like tricks. (laughs) I, I truly cannot even wrap my head around this. Also, you know, I was thinking about the Lord's sport. Yeah, it's totally a tangent. Um, <laughs> but I I would argue that it would be volleyball because then God could chant, bump it, set it, smite it. <laughs> volleyball as a collective, can you go ahead and change it from spike it to smite it? Yeah, what's stopping you? Yeah. <laughs> Please. You cowards. <laughs> you cowards. The House of David continued to sponsor barnstorming teams well in the 19, into the 1930s and then sponsored weekend semi-professional teams until the 1940s. Mary's City of David sent out barnstorming teams from 1930 until 1940, 
and then again from 1946 until 1955. Throughout this period, there were numerous teams which bore the House of David name and wore beards. The most famous was probably the Black House of David, an all-African-American barnstorming team that played solely against the teams of the Negro League. I just, it's so much to process. It's a lot to unpack. (laughs) My (sighs) wheels are spinning. The wheels are spinning. (laughs) Unfortunately, this cult ended the way most cults do with a molestation scandal. Oh, also, by the way, I just love when publications refer to like a statutory rape situation as, as a, a sex scandal. scandal. No, a sex scandal, which is oh, even worse. God, because the love of volleyball playing God. Right. Ugh. I just have a big problem with that because I feel like sex implies consent. Yeah. Don't call it yeah, a sex Don't scandal. confuse the two. Don't conflate the two. They're not the same. Right. Oh, Thank you. I'm glad you agree. Yeah. I mean, extremely hot takes. So. <laughs> Very hot take over here. <laughs> okay. So from Wikipedia, accusations arose in the 1920s towards Benjamin Purnell by 13 young women testifying under oath to the courts that they had sexual relations with the patriarch while still minors. As soon as this became public knowledge, the Detroit Free Press and other newspapers ran critical articles about Purnell. The news brought national attention to the group. The trial was lengthy with over 300 witness testimonies and 15,000 pages of documentation. And this part's gonna surprise you. In the end, Purnell was convicted of fraud, but not convicted on the sex charges. Great, love that for the world is anyone surprised by yeah. how just ugh, i'm not gonna get on my soapbox yeah but i could but we could and one day we will we will purnell was sick with tuberculosis during the trial and died in 1927 before he could be sentenced fucking piece of shit little bastard The sensation created by the trial caused a division in the group. One group headed by Mary Purnell remained together and in 1930 were given half of the land next to the original commune. There they rebuilt and reorganized the new Israelite House of David, better known as Mary's City of David. As of 2017, it maintained a handful of members who kept the premises open to the public. Great. What a great way to honor the patriarch's memory. It's great. A second faction maintained the original commune, the Old House of David, led by Judge T.H. DeWurst, which is a hilarious last name. Yeah, it sounds like DeWurst. Yeah, he's DeWurst. (laughs) (laughs) Had 350 members in 1935, 24 of whom were clergy, and in 1955 had 150 members with 10 clergy. As of 2010, the group was reported to have three surviving members. DeWurst's faction believed that Mary Purnell had no right to usurp authority over the community as it was led by his own self-appointed council of elders. So, uh, I mean, I'm just gonna say it. I think cults are problematic. I'm gonna say, yeah, a lot of red flags with cults. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 
<laughs> so the House of David Museum has like no online presence, but maybe a little. I did find a Facebook page for them, which boasts that. <laughs> of course they're on fucking Facebook. Of course they are. Um, so they boast the fact that in 2007, the museum was rated the number three baseball museum in North America by ESPN. This is a high honor. I mean, I wonder how many baseball museums there are in North America. There's got to be at least five. (laughs) Inaccurate. (laughs) Um, This museum is unaffiliated with the cult. And from what I can gather, it's owned and operated by a man named Chris Siriano, a local historian who is an expert on the House of David. On the Atlas Obscura article for this museum, Siriano is quoted as saying that the House of David is a cult, but you know, a good cult. Um, no. That's an oxymoron, babe. Yeah, that doesn't really, that's not how cults work. No. Um, but, you know, a good cult. A good cult. I can get how people can rally behind the whole baseball thing, you know, but I just feel like a cult. Um, call a spade a spade. Call a spade a spade, babe. Yeah. From what I can see in pictures of the museum, it seems like the collection is filled to the brim with jerseys, pictures of the property and of the baseball team, newspaper <laughs> clippings about the baseball team, and memorabilia from the Eden Springs Amusement Park. It's just, of all things, uh, just baseball. Why? Why baseball? Why baseball? Why sports? <laughs> I was unable to find any good reviews about the museum, as there are only a few on Facebook. However, they're absolutely glowing, and everyone was applauding mm-hmm. how much knowledge Siriano has about this mm-hmm. baseball cult. Okay, well, that's something. (laughs) So that's, you know, he's got the brains. Um, A side note I want to add real quick that I found on AmericanHeritage.com. Quote, in 1972, Benjamin and Mary's great-grandson, David. I mean, you guys. I mean, I get that it's a common name, but like maybe just like wait a few more generations. Yeah. Uh, David was found guilty of stabbing and killing 20-year-old Janet Oland. Though not a member of his great-grandparents' commune and no unreliable storyteller, David claimed there was buried treasure on the House of David grounds. David (laughs) died of natural causes at the age of 59 while serving a life sentence. Um, hmm, I wonder what kind of natural causes you die of at 59 while you happen to be in prison for murder (laughs) yeah that's a good question Mm -hmm. don't really Um, care yeah don't care yeah murdered murdered a gal no thanks um sources i've got an article from bizarrejournal.com called forgotten messiahs joanna southcott and shiloh (laughs) um the facebook page for house of david an article from the londonist called Delving into the mystery of Joanna Southcott's box. <laughs> box. Uh, the um, the Panacea Museum website, the Wikipedia page for Joanna Southcott, 
American Heritage uh, article called The House of David, a Midwest cult, really good at baseball. <laughs> the Wikipedia page for House of David, the Atlas Obscura article for the House of David Museum, and a blog from agilewriter.com called House of David. And that is the House of David Museum. I mean, I'm simultaneously speechless and I have so many questions. I think it's an interesting tactic from a like business development standpoint for this mm -hmm. cult leader to insist that his followers abstain from sex. Sure. Because that just necessarily limits the amount of followers you have. Yeah, that's a weird common Encounter. thing though with cults. Yeah. Like, I don't know. Do you just really like, I honestly feel like the vibe I get from cults and documentaries that I've seen and podcasts that I've listened to is that everyone is just like super fucking horny all the time. Always. And so maybe cult leaders, there's something about that, like, like sexual, like suppression that really contributes to that. I don't know. It's just I, well, so like, weird. I have a theory because there are a lot of cults that, um, require sexual abstinence. Um, my assumption is that it has to be like a control thing, right? The, the leader yeah. of the cult, which is always a man has to assert dominance somehow, right. To be the alpha male. Mm -hmm. And I would assume that is taking away that ability to, yeah. you know, have a sexual conquest. Yeah, dude. Rules are off. I don't know why I'm trying him. to make cult leaders make sense oh they don't they don't they're yeah. so weird um so weird <laughs> they're so weird um this really makes me want to watch rewatch season two of um the center so good i was thinking about that the other day it's so good so good wow, wow. um Okay, that was incredible. I had never heard of anything, even remotely related to that. I as it kept you... unfolding, I was just like, "What am I reading yeah, about?" Just here? Twists and turns. It feels like an AI, like a really bad AI, yeah. wrote a story about like a cult from American history, and they're like, "Oh, Americans love baseball, right?" <laughs> uh, and beers. Um, yeah. Wow. I, when you first started talking about it, I guess I was thinking of, there's that cult that's like, I feel like it's like the tribes of Israel or it's called something like kind of like generic almost like it sounds mm -hmm. like generically biblical and they have, um, their whole thing. I don't know all that much about it, but I know that in Colorado Springs, they have a coffee shop and that's their whole thing is they have this like really culty coffee shop and they oh. use that to make money for their cult. And it's just like, so hopefully so not the weird. one we went to. No, it's not. <laughs> um, although what a fun twist that would be. <laughs> that would be, that'd be great. Um, yeah. Wow. I could research cults until I die forever. 
could do a whole podcast on cults. Yeah, are we doing this? Yeah, probably at some point. <laughs> Campers, thank you so much for joining us for this just whirlwind of an episode. It is a real whirlwind. Yeah. Um, check us out on social media, please, please, please. Um, TikTok, Twitter, Instagram, at the museum camp. Mm-hmm. We'll we also, we will be there. We also um, kindly request that if you're enjoying this and you know what, maybe you listen on Spotify, but you have an iPhone go ahead and pop open that Apple podcasts app and scroll to our podcast and add a rating and review. It Mm -hmm. truly helps. Um, It would mean the world. We'll be forever grateful if you do that. Yeah. Just that little thing. It'll be our Christmas present. Yeah. That'd be so sweet. You guys were wondering what you could get for us. And I mean, that's it. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. Mm, we'd love it um and if you you know just got a nice crisp five dollar bill um in a christmas card from you know that weird aunt or something um then if you want to know what to do with it we have a a small suggestion if Mm -hmm. you would like i don't maybe you can mail that five dollar bill to patreon (laughs) Just we'll kidding. get the address for you. Yeah. yeah. Uh, if you just want to go onto the internet uh, like a normal person, um, we have a $5 a month Patreon tier. Um, there's extra content there for you. Once the new year hits, we're going to be adding more mm-hmm. uh, once we you know, get our lives back. And, um, <laughs> um, and there's lots of good fun stuff there. Uh, so if you would like to feel free to hang out with us there. Um, any other housekeeping? I think that's it. Great. I hope, I want to say, I hope you all have a safe new year. Mm -hmm. Um, spoiler alert, not much, um, is going to change from 21 to 22, Mm -hmm. but we're gonna have a great time. Yep. Yeah. Um, have an absolutely bitch in new year's eve everyone <laughs> please have a bitch in new year's eve and please. we will we very will see you new years to you yeah uh, be safe i swear to god be safe i swear to god if you don't be safe i'll be I pissed swear to, i swear to baseball playing volleyball loving god <laughs> be safe and we'll see you next time yeah bye bye campers yeah.